I would say most advertisers are going to put a headline in their ads, but that description text, it doesn't show up in every placement and it can be very easily just left blank, but that can be problematic when it's then populating something from your webpage that is not accurate or up to date. We have had a client who's doing some rebranding and that metadata has been incorrect on there or it's still the old version of showing text that they no longer want to show and it will populate into our ads and then it, it makes it look as if the ad is showing. This is the Customer Acquisition Show, the podcast that helps you turn complete strangers into repeat customers and grow your business. Here with Courtney, and Courtney, do you want to introduce what you do here at Tier 11, aside from being awesome? <laughs> I'm just trying to do the best media buying job I can for our clients in a time that's changing constantly. But there are some key things that are always good to have in the back of your mind when you're running ads. And this is a good opportunity to remind even myself of some of these things as we go through. Which is what we're going to be talking about today. What do we wish our clients knew, whether they're starting to run ads or they've been running ads for a little bit and running into roadblocks or they've stopped scaling, they're throwing money, it's not working. What is often missed? And we see these things over and over again, right? Where you did miss that just like everybody else. Could you start that conversation? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we've got this sorted out into a few different categories. We have data and tracking, copying creative Facebook campaign, just structural setup, and then after the click. But before I dive in there, I can go through that sort of like bare bones, what you need to have beforehand as you're getting started. Before we apply any of this extra, (laughs) extra snazzy stuff. Yeah. Minimally, you need a Facebook business page and an Instagram account, ideally. (laughs) And (laughs) it happens. Sometimes there's no Instagram account is very viable part of the platform that you might want to be using. So it's good to have these things, have them set up. There's tons of documentation through Meta's business center on how to do all these things. So that's all out there. But yeah, (laughs) good thing. Facebook business page, Instagram profile, your Facebook business. Should every business, I mean, we work with a variety of clients. We work with e-commerce, we work with lawyers, we work with information marketers, people with digital products. Among those types of businesses, are there any that you've seen that don't benefit from Instagram as well as Facebook? Or is it pretty across the board good for everybody to have? Yeah, generally these days, I think it's a good to have at least, you know, for the purpose of testing. Oftentimes, if you're going with auto placements or kind of the standard way of running your ads, it's going to go out to the audience network and Facebook and Instagram, and it'll send people to each of those sites depending on how they're each performing. Ideally, the algorithm should be allocating impressions to those platforms based on what's working. So generally, it behooves you to at least have that Instagram account linked to be testing. And I've seen in some cases where Instagram is actually the one that's crushing it, even over Facebook. And sometimes you may want to break out Instagram where you're specifically running ads just to Instagram and make it kind of Instagram specific to make sure you're utilizing that platform as strongly as you'd like to based on the positive results or signals that you're getting from it. Awesome. Thank you. And what else should they have? The website with the Facebook pixel implemented. (laughs) Make them talk. (laughs) It's it's kind of important. So that one's another key ingredient can be a little intimidating for newbies maybe, but it's not that intense once you get down to it. And again, there's lots of really helpful documentation through Meta where you can find out how to implement pixels correctly. Another good thing, a compelling offer. I think in these interruption marketing platforms like we have in social, 
you really need a compelling offer. It can't be like a generic. Yeah, it has to be everybody else. Yeah, it has to be something people are willing to interrupt their day, their nice, happy, relaxing scrolling through whatever platform they're on. The doom scrolling. (laughs) And be like, I need this. This is what I need right now. I think that's one that I'll probably reiterate. It's just really important to have a really compelling offer. And that is something you have to think about and put thought into and planning and structure, building out the back end, whatever that looks like once people click the ads. And then kind of going along with that, ideally single goal or metric for success. It's tempting when you first start running ads to be like, oh, well, I want to get tons of traffic. And I also want to get tons of engagement on my page. And yeah, yeah, I've been an entrepreneur. Like I want the conversions. And it's not like all of these things aren't important. So when you say that, you're not saying, well, focus on engagement with your ads and none of the rest of it's important to your business. Obviously, businesses have to pay bills. We want to see good numbers with all of these metrics. But for you as a media buyer, some of your strategies change, right? Depending on the primary goal. Yeah. You know, you have your KPIs, your key performance indicators, and those can change depending on your offer, depending on the goals of your business. But I think once you have that stellar offer that you want to throw out onto the interwebs, you want to know what the key performance indicator is for that. So you know kind of what your North Star is that you're going to be optimizing for. It may be all well and good that you're getting tons of video views and what have you, but if your return on ad spend is super crummy, it may not be sustainable. So something to keep in mind. You got to have a goal. (laughs) You got to have an offer, got to have a goal. And you need a landing page, you need a website. Again, that pixel's got to go somewhere. So that's another sort of need to have before you kind of get started. And then just a working understanding of the ads manager interface. What goes in a campaign? What goes in an ad set? What goes in an ad? And I'm sure that each of the platforms has training. I did have a question, but you know, we talked about the pixel, talked about the landing page, the offer, obviously getting set up and, you know, business manager, pretty important, pretty essential. Back to metrics. Are there any metrics that you feel like good beginner metrics? And that may be a silly question. So if the answer is no, that's fine too. Yeah, it's so dependent on the offer and the goal, I think, and the industry. I mean, like what your target for like something like click-through rate, what's good for one account may not be great for another. I know one account where our absolute best performing stellar ads are usually around 0.4% click-through rate. I often hear about it around like 1% is what you want to target, but like we very rarely get there with the ads that are actually converting and getting us a ROAS. So it's a little bit... I don't know. I feel like I'm having trouble with that one. (laughs) But I'm trying to think for like beginners. I mean, yeah, it's so dependent on the goal, I think. Yeah, on the business. But a general understanding of how they all work together, what click-through rate means, what cost per click, just a sense of how to look at those analytics. That's probably another good one to add to sort of the before you get started kind of checklist. Do you know how to even measure success? Because some people... Do you find that maybe not our clients, our clients are usually pretty sophisticated, but with some earlier stage businesses where it's like, I'm just going to throw money at this. And in 30 days, it's going to generate gobs of sales with the first ads they put out. Right? Yeah. And often, I mean, I've been there. I started Facebook ads because I was doing real estate at the time and taught myself how to run Facebook ads for real estate. And I didn't know what the heck I was doing. You put those ads out there and you want to spend like 20 bucks <laughs> a day because you're a little solopreneur that has no money. and. <laughs> And thinking back on that time, being in that mindset myself, if I'd had a better knowledge of secondary metrics, things like cost per click, click through rate, I would have at least known, oh, this ad, even though I haven't generated any of the results that I'm looking for yet, I can tell this ad is showing preliminary signals of having some kind of potential. And what is it about that ad or these three ads that seem to be 
gaining a little bit of traction and then you you know try and optimize your copy and create it from there at least it gives you some sense of what's happening especially if you have a goal whether it's like i want to sell a house or whatever you know from a facebook <laughs> that kind of result is going to take a lot of time and a lot of money so you kind of do have to need a sense of these secondary metrics and how to use them in terms of optimization especially in cases where yeah you may have few results that you're actually looking for. Exactly. If that makes any sense. I mean, it's easy that. for our e-commerce <laughs> clients, right? They have a product, they put the product out there. It's more direct, but yeah, like for our lawyers or some of our service-based clients, we have one client that I'm a part of that they just started to have some ads that sell events, but the other ads, I mean, it's book a call. It might not be a month or two months until we start to see, did those ads actually work? So we're tracking not just those initial conversions, but also the quality down the line. And it takes a while. But because it's five-figure revenue, they can be okay with per sale. They can be okay with that time frame. You know, they know what they can spend. They know how long it can take and it's still okay. Yeah. Yeah. But at least having those secondary metrics beforehand can give you a sense of, is there any potential here in this ad or what have you? And, and sometimes there isn't. Sometimes there isn't. Sometimes it's an ad that does not have a high click-through rate or a low cost per click. And then you see that it got incredible row as a month later or whatever. It can be hit and miss. But I think it's good to have a sense of those secondary metrics. And in one of my accounts, it's definitely helpful because I know that if an ad is at more than an $8 add to cart, it's probably never going to perform on the ROAS that we need. Interesting. So there's still some trends, despite the differences, there's still some trends that you can go, yeah, no, we know this will never work. Let's try again. Yeah. And once you have like that familiarity in the account and you see like, oh yeah, if I'm hitting my KPI, it's usually because add to cart is below eight or $9. Then it helps me in terms of optimization. Because if I see a scenario where, Hey, maybe this ad is not performing on the ROAS side, but it's getting $5 add to carts. And I only started it a couple of days ago. That will give me an indication of I'll let it run a little bit longer. Like I'll give it a little bit of leeway because I know that secondary metric, even though we never optimize for add to cart specifically, we're not tracking that. It's not being reported to the client on a regular basis, but it helps so much in terms of optimization, just to have it in the back of my mind for making those early decisions. That makes total sense. Yeah. I'm not a media buyer and it makes sense to me. So yeah, good, good. <laughs> that's, great. that's helpful. And it's cool to know that there's so many little indicators that are available. I mean, yeah, you wouldn't want to look at them every day, but when we're making decisions, it's not just guessing. There is data that we can see and trends that tell us, yeah, we're headed in the right direction. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, I think that's kind of my needed beforehand cool. checklist so <laughs> I can go into the rest. So I'll hop into data and tracking, if that sounds good. Yep. Kinda We're on the, the topic, so makes sense. Excellent. So a couple things that I won't dive into in like a massive detail, because fortunately, we have team members who are well-versed in, in data and tracking than I am. But a couple of things to have in mind, just a general knowledge of the third-party tools that are out there for use, You know, especially in our post-iOS age of results and ads manager maybe not looking the way they used to or seeming as reliable as they maybe once did. There's lots of third-party tools out there, especially if you're running multiple channels, Google, et cetera, that can be quite helpful. It's possible to sometimes feel like you're flying blind without some sense of truth. And especially when you have multiple channels floating around, it can be difficult to decide what is really working. The landing page might say one thing, Google might say another, Facebook might say another, the CRM says something different. 
Exactly. Yeah. So just having a sense of third-party tools, what they're used for in terms of tracking, and if they make sense to use for your business, I think is a good one. And under that umbrella, there's something called Conversions API, which again, far beyond my data and tracking brain power here, but it's just something that Facebook put out, Meta put out during and maybe shortly after the iOS change. My understanding, at least, is that it's meant to just add more accuracy to what you're seeing in the ads manager platform by connecting to your server and things like that. I'm guessing you might say from the start, but realistically, how soon should early stage Facebook ad marketers install some of these conversions API or maybe even like a third party, like a Wicked Reports or something? It's a definite nice to have as soon as you can in a perfect world. All the budget, (laughs) all the technical ability to implement, all the time. All of the dev (laughs) resources to be able to handle it. Yeah. Conversions API, as I understand it, is a fairly complex thing. So it's not something that it may be feasible to implement right off the bat. I know of clients who aren't using it for that reason. And we still do okay. So again, it's like a nice to have. You want to have all the transparency, all the data feeding back into Facebook that you can get. It'll make optimizing the account more efficient, ideally. But yeah, there's certainly cases where it's not going to happen. And same thing with third-party tools. They can be pricey and it may not be the right way to go for everybody, but it's something to look into, I think. And then less really nitty-gritty tracking kind of stuff. Consistent naming conventions, also something we often see missing. And Mm -hmm. when I put that on this list, I thought, is this a data and tracking thing? Does it belong like the structure thing? And I think it's kind of both because there's so many times I'm pulling reports to see what audience has performed best in the last six months in this account, something like that. I need our naming conventions in order to sort that data once I export it and then be able to sift through everything Mm -hmm. from there. And it can be a big necessity that I think often falls by the wayside. Ad campaign, ad campaign two, new, new, Campaign. Exactly. <laughs> copy, 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 like a million copies because nobody changed the and name. Which one was which? And then nobody knows anymore because everybody has slept since then. Exactly. Yeah. And that's something that I'm super grateful at Tier 11. We have such a great methodology for our naming conventions that it makes life so much easier. And having that great methodology for naming conventions has made me realize even more how important it is. And thinking back to times when I was not as strict about it and just how much I missed out on being able to like understand the data I was looking at (laughs) without having to click into everything to see what it actually is. This ad set, who is it actually targeting? I would have to click another layer deep just to see like, oh, it's men and women, 18 and up, you know, in Canada. You know, so takes extra time to manage and report when it could have been filtered up to the naming at the beginning. Precisely. So that's one. And then again, accurate pixel implementation. We can probably drop a couple links to the test events tool that Meta has, as well as the Pixel Helper Chrome extension, which is a godsend for making sure that pixels are firing where they're supposed to. And this is something that it just happens. You know, sometimes a client may change something on their back end and it makes the pixel disappear or go haywire or whatever. And we may not know about it until we start to see things go bananas in ads manager. It's just one of those things that whenever you launch a new page, a new funnel, new offer, whatever, you've got a new landing page in the mix, you just want to do a quick pixel audit, a tracking audit. And it's probably a good thing to just do routinely on your site anyway, I would say, <laughs> just to make sure that everything is still still firing the way it's meant. Let's see. Another extra one I was thinking about this morning, just creating internal reports as needed, I guess. I'm a spreadsheet nerd, so I love to make spreadsheets to keep myself organized. And 
I have a few that have really helped my optimization process. It does require maybe a little bit of manual data entry on a regular basis, maybe, but I think it's totally worth it. It's probably not something I can get super specific about since the type of report you might need might vary on whatever you're doing. But I think it's good to have. <laughs> it's always better to be more organized. And, and if Facebook doesn't have the report you're looking for, create it yourself and as needed. I think we've seen that on every successful ad account is they're using some kind of third-party reporting or we are whizzes at the spreadsheets and we're relying on that because we are pulling data from so many places, especially when you add CRM data and whatnot. Start getting comfortable with reports or get someone on your team who's comfortable with reports because it really does make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And you're so right. It's pulling that information from multiple sources. It's nice to have some kind of single <laughs> single place where you can see what your real results are and, and keep track of trends and things that way. So I think that's all I got for the data and tracking side. So I can hop into Copy and Creative unless there's anything else on data and tracking. That's it. I, I think we've melted their brains. So <laughs> Perfect. Then Copy and Creative... It's a little bit of a jumble, my notes here, but I think, you know, something we're fine tuning always is the testing methodology we're using as we're testing copy and creative, making sure we're making like data informed decisions and not just throwing stuff at the wall, which I think everybody is probably guilty of. <laughs> and sometimes maybe it's a good idea. Like if you have no idea what's working and you create four completely different looking ads with completely different copy angles and everything, just like chuck it up there and see what happens. Definitely something I did when I was running my own ads for my own business. But as you kind of advance, it is super necessary, I think, to have a real structure to the way you're testing things. Because otherwise you'll miss stuff. I know as a copywriter, I can come up with variations, but I will still miss specific angles if we're not testing it specifically. And it's hard to correlate, okay, how much of the lift was because I wrote new ad copy and how much of the lift was just changing the headline? Or changing the image? Or are we in a brand where the image or the video does nothing and it's all about the copy? Like our lawyers are one of those where they read. We can throw as much text as possible on the image and in the, the ad and they will read it all because that's what they do. Whereas other clients, I'm pretty sure I could write a sentence, get a link and it's it would be just as well. But having rigorous like testing opponents and then ensuring you're actually testing all the components. It's easy to go back to the hooks and the phrasing that you love or the, the designs that you love. And having that framework really helps us step outside the box and go, okay, what haven't we tested? Or how can we take this further? I'm going to say not from shallow critics. It's not shallow, but take it further than we might think of when we come to the table is what I like about our testing framework at tier 11. Yeah. And just having that sense of like isolating one thing. So you can say, you may not know if it's the image or the new copy or the headline that was slightly tweaked. You know, you really have to gain insights that I think are truly valuable. You need to be able to isolate one thing at a time and see what's and sometimes actually. sometimes it's none of it. <laughs> There's been times where it's like, all of it's about the same. This is just the performance we're getting. And then we can relax a bit on coming up with new stuff. Let's look at the offer or let's look at something else because we've optimized it for good. Yeah. And I think sometimes those ads, like the unicorn ads that you continue to run, another factor that we have no control over is how much is the engagement actually what's pulling the results on that. Maybe there's some really stellar comments in that comment section that are really selling people on this thing because people <laughs> think this was a great program. This changed my life, you know, what have you. And then it kind of keeps compounding that way. Um, 
yeah, there's so many elements, but I think having a sense of what you're testing and why and what you're looking for, what insights you're hoping to glean, whether it's of these three copy variations, which one is really going to hit home or maybe it's a creative. It's good to have in mind because it is so tempting to just throw some stuff up at the wall and see what happens. And as you advance, I think it's helpful to get those insights a little bit more (laughs) fine-tuned. Let's see. I think another one here, a bit in that same vein as we're talking about hooks and angles, is just that deep understanding of your audience pain points and objectives, really diving into that audience psyche. And maybe that's another thing that you revisit from time to time in various ways. And that could be its own blog post, really, how to do that audience research, whether it's looking at your reviews, looking at your comments in your ads, looking at your competitors, etc. Customer surveys. We've talked about that before of getting voice of the customer feedback, actually pulling in their language. And of course, the camp framework and some of the pillar work and deep dive stuff we do also goes through the psychology of awareness levels and things like that. But it definitely requires more than just, oh, I know my audience. It's so tempting to do that too. But yeah, I think... The deep understanding is necessary. And as you say, getting into camp, just talking to your audience place that they are in in the way you need to speak to them, whether, yeah, maybe they have no idea what your business is or who you are, et cetera, or maybe they do. And maybe they have some objections that you need to be handling that maybe wouldn't have occurred to somebody who's completely cold traffic, but occurred further down the line. So I think it's such a stellar framework that we have with camp. And I think it's so necessary to know you can't talk to, you know, a level one <laughs> person the same way as when you're trying to induce somebody who's either maybe hit add to cart, but didn't purchase or signed up for your lead magnet, but never went further. There's a lot more things in play there that you need to be addressing in your ads that might be too much that could even be a turnoff to a level one person. Oh, um, absolutely. Or it's not where they're at. Yeah, exactly. I find when I look at accounts, I look at clients, And even just what I know of business owners, usually their first tendency is to go to that solution-aware, sales-oriented, buy-now copy. And this is everybody from the service people to the e-commerce. Of course, e-commerce is more, you get that, but they want to go right to the sale. And so, but only what, 10%, maybe if you're lucky, 20% most. Yeah. Super lucky. It's more like 10 or less are ready to buy now. So you're leaving huge swathes of your audience. And I think beginners do this too often where they go right to the sales oriented stuff and don't want, don't feel like they have the time to go back and do like for e-commerce, like product demonstrations or mm-hmm. do a, a testimonial or for service people addressing objections or hitting desire aware wants and aspirations. Oh, that's a mistake I see with early people. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's. Yeah. And even Facebook will do its best to grab those low-hanging fruit, you know, people who are ready to buy. So you might get lucky and you might get a lot of the results you're looking for initially, but it's going to run out. And if you're not warming up new people to come into that state, then it's going to get tricky eventually. (laughs) And it won't scale. There's a point where it will stop scaling. Precisely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely a good one to have in mind. And I think we touched on another point that I had later down. So that's good. But Something else I had here for copy and creative, just staying relevant. Recently, we have a client that there was a good tie-in opportunity with Memorial Day. They support charities that benefit veterans. And so this wasn't something we'd done before, but I was like, I want to try some Memorial Day themed ad copy. Family, yeah. Why not? (laughs) And I asked the client, is there any chance we can get some really simple graphics that call out Memorial Day? And we did eventually, but in the meantime, I was just running the copy with some of our best performing creatives on some of our offers that have not done well recently. And just throwing in that Memorial Day line increased performance 
by at least a hundred percent. It was awesome. crazy how much better it did it just because it was relevant because people, you know, are thinking about the Memorial Day weekend and like we were fortunate in that we had a very related way to tie in that felt meaningful and honest, I think. But then they decided they would actually run a Memorial Day offer. We ended up getting like a 5X return on nice. And, and our goal is a 1X return. So Yay, it, good job. <laughs> job, everybody. Yeah, it was like, why not? If you have a good tie in with, with the holiday or just anything, just to keep it relevant, to show that this is an ad from 20 years ago that's somehow running, you know, I think people like to see that. They like to see the relevancy and So it goes to the psychology of where they're at as they're scrolling, right? And what's on their mind and they'll filter out what isn't relevant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's not necessarily like a scroll stop or a pattern interrupt, you know, in a really drastic sense. But if they've already got, you know, my Memorial Day weekend on their mind and they scroll and see something related to Memorial Day, might have a better chance at least of of getting them to stop. (laughs) That would take a peek. So, and then another great thing to keep in mind is AdSent. This is also an after the click topic. And when we say AdSent, we mean ad S C E N T. It's the congruency between the ad and your landing page. So, when people click on an ad and they end up on a page that looks completely different, that's a disconnect there and they might lose some trust. It just feels funky and maybe a little shady. And it's a good way to have people end up bouncing. People think they're going to get scammed all the time. So I guess it's not going to take much for them to think, oh, I clicked on something I shouldn't. Goodbye. We see this all the time in conversion architecture where the client has been spending a lot of time optimizing their ads, but they haven't spent as much time optimizing their landing page, making sure their landing page is matching the new ads. And so the landing page is like from 10 years ago. Never updated it, haven't tested it, no landing. And they haven't even gotten to the point of like, okay, add A as landing page A, add B as landing page B. We see that. And that's often one of the things we're like, let's make it all match. <laughs> yes. And that it helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely. And it's one of those things that can easily fall by the wayside. Even businesses that have been running ads a good long time, sometimes you forget that there needs to be that congruency, especially if you've been so focused on optimizing your ads. And then there can be that disconnect once somebody actually clicks, which is, of course, what you want. So you need to make sure (laughs) they don't bounce as soon as they take the action you wanted. Exactly. Perfect. I think that's all I got there. So I can hop into Facebook campaign kind of structural stuff, if you like. Sounds good. Perfect. So using post IDs is fantastic. And I think it's something that continues to be valuable and tricky to explain precisely how you go about it. Basically, rather than having ending up having a plethora of ads, it's the same copy, same creative, but you want to duplicate it into numerous audiences or run it in multiple campaigns rather than duplicating that ad and then having separate iterations floating around across all of your ads as a campaigns. You can find the post ID and apply that in like an ad shell for these other audience campaigns. And so it'll use that original one. It'll use the first one you made. And what that does is it aggregates all the comments, all the social proof will end up in one place instead of sprinkled out across That's useful. a million copies of the same ad. It's useful for ad performance and it's also useful for your lovely organic social team that has to respond to these comments rather than respond to comments across 12 ads. It's all under one single ad because you used a post ID rather than creating duplicates, which will all end up having their own comment section, et cetera. So it's a great thing to do. It's a little tricky to explain, but... That could be use post IDs. Don't just duplicate. Use post IDs. Aggregate so for the purpose of aggregating your social proof, making comment management easier. 
that's the gist. <laughs> nice. Sounds worth it. Yeah. 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 For sure. I have on here, which we've discussed a little bit, having accurate benchmarks for secondary metrics, as well as primary KPIs, like we talked about. And then also under that, knowing red flags in ads. Like we had a situation just this past weekend where I was in ads manager. I know that there's always a little bit of a discrepancy between our real results that the client is telling us this is the revenue we got versus what ads manager is telling us this is the revenue we've gotten. There's always a little bit of a discrepancy between those two numbers, but I was seeing a really large discrepancy the other morning. And just knowing like, this is something to look out for. Same thing, our CPA like doubled, you know, things just looked... So it was way beyond the normal range of discrepancy. Yeah. And the last time we had seen CPAs double that way, things go bananas in ads manager. It was because the credit card processor on our client side went down. Oh. So we put rules in place, automated rules within Facebook to shut down campaigns when we see things get really way out of whack, which is super helpful. And it turned out it was totally fine this past weekend. Nothing went haywire. It was just Facebook took a little bit longer to recognize the revenue that the client was showing on their side. But just knowing that was a red flag to look out for, I felt like I could be really proactive looking at the account on a Friday morning and seeing something's going a little weird here. I'm going to spend a little bit more time checking in over there just to make sure everything's Fine. Got a heads up and yeah. So that's another thing to add. Let's see. Oftentimes can be super great to repurpose successful organic content. This could also be under the copy creative question, but some of our highest performing creatives in some accounts are actually just taken from their organic social posts, which is great. Can confirm. Yep. We've seen that in some of, because we don't share accounts. I've seen that in the accounts that I'm in as well, where it's like, hey, this social post worked real well. Can we try it? And it does well because it resonates. Yeah, exactly. And if you're just getting started with ads, looking for maybe something that could be an easy win, or at least insights, you know, look at those organic social posts that have performed really well and think about what about them. Right. Are they a story? Is it the hook? Are you addressing objections or questions? And while looking at your own organic social (laughs) posts, it can be helpful to check up on your competitors as well. This is something that I feel like also can fall by the wayside sometimes making sure for a couple of reasons in terms of making sure your copy and creative is just as engaging as what your competitors are posting, but also from the standpoint of are your offers as competitive as, you know, what your competition is posting? That's what's missing. I find that when clients come to us and they're like, Hey, I want ads like this. I mean, the ads are good. We don't want to mirror what other companies are doing, but often the difference is in the offer. Hey, they have an event that's really engaging and really timely and we're posting the same webinar, right? That we've done, you know, for years. Let's switch it up. And so it prompts those kinds of conversations. I think you're spot on that often it's the offer that you need to pay attention to more than the creative. Not that creative is important, but if you're on par with your creative and your copy, yeah, it's that's usually yeah, not so much the problem. But or you know, landing page too. Maybe their user interface is just much more streamlined and friendly and whatever, whatever could be going on there maybe, but always good just to keep an eye on those things, I think for sure. And then, yeah, kind of going back to the camp question, just making sure all levels of traffic are being utilized. You have your custom audiences for folks who have maybe engaged with you on Facebook and Instagram and or visited your website before. There's options also for visited your website and stayed for X amount of time. So you can kind of segment those even further. And yeah, just, I think, and then again, sending people in those audiences, the correct ads with the correct messaging, knowing where they are in your experience, I guess, at that point. 
now I'm in the little after the click portion, if we want to go there, unless there's any other questions about the Facebook setup. I think you've hit on some good stuff, enough to keep them busy. <laughs> for a while. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. Well, then hopefully to wrap up with the after the click stuff, something that has come up a couple times I've noticed is the metadata that can be populated into Facebook ads from your landing page. Uh, it's a little funky and it's kind of hard to explain where you would find this, but it depends on their builder, right? Like it depends on if they're using WordPress or ClickFunnels or some other builder. But if you are going to make a Facebook ad and you leave the headline or the description text blank, it'll automatically check your web page and grab a snippet of the, I don't know if metadata is actually the correct term for it, but it'll grab those snippets and populate them there. And this has been a problem when pages are updated, the content of the page is updated, but the metadata there has not been updated and it's referring to something that is no longer present on the page. Or just a weird sentence, right? Like untitled page and then some weird sentence, the date and timestamp or something. And it's like, no, that's not helpful. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's pretty much, I would say most advertisers are going to put a headline in their ads, but that description text, it doesn't show up in every placement and it can be very easily just left blank, but that can be problematic when it's then populating something from your web page that is not accurate or up to date. We have had a client who's doing some rebranding and that metadata has been incorrect on there or it's still the old version oh no. of showing text that they no longer want to show. And it will populate into our ads. And then it, it makes it look as if the ad is showing stuff that they don't want to be showing anymore, but it's actually pulling from the website. It can get a little tricky there. So it's a good thing to have in mind that, again, it pops up and it's something that you might not think about all the time or think even to check regularly, but that I've actually seen come up a couple of times, even just in the past year. So and it's good practice anyway, right? I mean, it's going to show up in their Google searches. This is something that should be at least once a year you're looking at making sure it's accurate. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's a great point too. And then actually the last two points I have in here, I think we chatted a little bit about before, just again, pixel impl implementation. Once you're after the click on that website, you want to make sure it's all doing what it's supposed to do in terms of your pixel. Then that question of ad sent, again, making sure that landing page does resonate <laughs> with the ads people are clicking on to get there. I think I'd one to add to this for after the click that we see all the time is that pages aren't optimized to be mobile friendly and responsive. You know, our general recommendation and conversion architecture is to design for mobile, design right for mobile, and then create the desktop version. Start with mobile, think about mobile because most of your traffic at this point, some industries you're going to see more desktop, but as a rule, it's going to be mobile. Make sure that you're looking at your landing pages from a mobile perspective, make sure it's going to load fast on mobile. If you need to shorten the copy on mobile versus desktop or change where the CTAs are or how the images load, do that because it will increase conversions. Definitely. Cool. Well, I think that's all on mine. Were there any other questions or anything else I could clarify for you, Lynn? I think that's it. This is a ton of information. And feel free to ping me too if any other questions come up or anything else needs any more clarifying. Thanks for listening to the Customer Acquisition Show. Take the next step toward growing your customer base. Visit tier11.com and request your customized growth plan. And remember to hit the follow button so you can be notified of future episodes.